0: So there's a lot of folks who are on vacation, Chrissy's on vacation, we appreciate uh, Dr. Judy Hool filling in for her, uh, but there's lots of our families are on vacation, and one of the things about uh, vacation is often we might go to a place that we've never been before, right? And uh, so GPS is very handy uh, for that, and in fact, sometimes you say, um, you know, oh, where are you going? Like, well, I'm like, well how are you going to get there? Like, well, I don't know, I'll just GPS it. Right? You probably say that. I don't know how to get there, but I'm just going to GPS it. And uh, when I remember the first time I used GPS, I was kind of nervous. I was like, I don't know if I want to just do what this voice is telling me to do. Right? Even though she's speaking in a British accent, I don't know if I can trust her or not. Will she get me to go where I need to go? Uh, But now, of course, I don't even think about it. I just do what the voice tells me to do because I know that it'll get me to the destination. Uh, That I want to get to. And we've been in this series on the Holy Spirit. And, you know, the Holy Spirit gives us guidance. That the, the Holy Spirit can be like GPS in that we can be guided by the presence of the Spirit. So that's what I want you to think about when you think of GPS guided by the presence of the Spirit. And, We talk about, you know, praying in the Spirit. We talk about worship in the Spirit. We're going to talk about that a lot today. And in the Bible, there's lots of occasions where you read somebody did something in the Spirit. And we're going to talk about what that means today. But really, it means, um, you know, being guided by the presence of the Spirit. The Spirit is either leading you or sometimes even taking over. To bring you to a place that you can't go in your own earthly power, your own human abilities, that's what it means to do something in the spirit. And in the scripture, again, it says several times that phrase, "in the spirit." Now we're going to look specifically at what does it mean to worship in the spirit, what does it mean to pray in the spirit? But in general, it means doing something in the spirit means being guided by the spirit, or the spirit is compelling you to do something the presence of the Spirit. And this makes sense, because think about it. If, if we've already have the person of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, and that's what we talked about in previous weeks, the gift of Pentecost is that God gives us his presence. He pours out his Spirit, so God is indwelling us. Sometimes, as we talked about last week, we're even filled with the Spirit. It makes sense that the Spirit would guide us to where God wants us to go even sometimes take over, right? That makes sense, doesn't it? And and this would be especially true if the Spirit is guiding us into those things that are at the very heart of God, like worship, like prayer. So guided by the presence of the Spirit, that means the Spirit is bringing us to an eternal dimension of, of communion with God beyond mere human activity. So let's look at those things. Let's look at first worship in the Spirit and then prayer in the Spirit. Now, worship in the Spirit. You you guys know I love context. and When we do these series, topical studies, it makes me nervous. And so every scripture that I say today, I invite you to go read the whole thing. Read it in context. Um, And I'll give you as much context as possible. But first, Philippians 3.3. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by, or some translations, in the Spirit of God, in glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. So here we have the Apostle Paul saying, we you know, worship in the Spirit of God. And the context of this passage, the Apostle Paul, he is warning those in Philippi to beware of those who center access to God on our own power, or our own heritage, or our own following of a, a set of religious activities. Because we can very easily do that. We can, when we think about worship, so for instance, we call what we're doing now a worship service, and we can center our worship on ourselves, on what am I going to do? Or what's going to, uh, what, what should I be doing? No, our access to God, and that's what the Apostle Paul is making this point, is through Christ's finished work and the Spirit's continuing work. It's, that's where it's centered upon. So do we think of worship as something that we take up as an activity, or do we think of worship as something the Spirit takes us up into? There's a huge difference. Will we let the Spirit take over Take us into worship. Also, John chapter 4. This is the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus is talking to that Samaritan woman at the well. And I'm not going to read the whole passage, but starting in verse 20, the Samaritan woman says, is talking to Jesus. She says, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. They're in Mount Gerizim in Samaria. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming So here, the question is, all right, is worship centered on a place? Jesus is saying, no. Worship is centered on Jesus and the Spirit, because Jesus offers this woman, this Samaritan woman, living water, which, which we know from the Gospel of John is the Holy Spirit. And so even though this woman was an outcast Samaritan, Through Jesus, she can receive the spirit and then worship in spirit and truth, regardless of her ethnicity, regardless of her geography. So worship in the spirit means that worship, it's not just us humans striving to be the best we can with our limited ability to somehow show God's worth, somehow glorify him. Worship in the Spirit means that God Himself, in the person of the Spirit, is guiding us into the truth of His holiness, His worthiness. Through Jesus' work, the Spirit indwells us and then allows us to participate in the Trinity, the triune God's love that he has within himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit takes us up into the character of God. That's worship in the Spirit. It's based, it is centered in God. It's not centered in us. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. Jesus glorifies the Father. The Father glorifies the Son. You see, this idea of worship, glor- when you glorify something, what do you do? You proclaim its worth, you proclaim its glory, its goodness, and that's very close to worship. Worship is proclaiming something's worth, treating something as of utmost value. So when you glorify something and you worship that things, those things are closely related. Well, the Spirit knows how to glorify Jesus. The Spirit knows how to glorify God, and we need to be taken up into, what the, what's at the heart of God. John sixteen thirteen says this. Jesus, he's talking to his disciples. This is what he says. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine And declare it to you. God the Spirit glorifies God the Son. It's where he leads. So if we're thinking, well, what does it look like to worship in the Spirit? What does it look like to be guided by the presence of the Spirit? The Spirit will guide you to glorify God, to glorify Jesus. So if you're wondering, well, what does it look like? It looks like glorifying God and it looks like glorifying Jesus. That's at the heart of who the Spirit is. That's where he leads. It's the truth by which the universe exists, that God is God. He is number one. He is the Alpha and the Omega. There's nothing to be higher, more glorified, or more worshiped than him. And so when the Spirit leads us into worship, of course he's going to lead us into that truth, to live it, to, to be centered in that. That's why Jesus, in, in John 17, 1-5, that's, just a little bit after what we've just read. He's praying to God. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father... Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Through Jesus' work, the Spirit makes possible for us to participate, to be drawn up into the love that the Father, Son, and Spirit has for one another, for the glory that they give to one another because they are worthy. So if we wonder, what does it look like to worship in the Spirit? It looks like the Spirit leading us to glorify God. Get caught up in the heart of God. That's what worship is. So when we say, oh, well, okay, what does that look like? It is so hard because you can't jam the heavenly into an earthly mold. Now, we want to do that. We want to say, oh, no, no, give me a checklist of how I can worship in the spirit. No, you can't take that eternal glorious truth and then, again, put it in an earthly package. It just doesn't fit. But let me tell you what it looks like a little bit. It looks a lot like it looks like less self-awareness and self-effort and a lot more surrender to the spirit. That's what it looks like. It looks like less performance and more participation in what God is doing. It looks more like glory to God and less glory to people. It looks like there's less attention paid to appearances and more attention to awareness of the supernatural realities beyond the appearances. It looks like less dependence on our circumstances. So let's whip each other up into the spirit. No, you don't need to whip one another up in the spirit. It looks like despite my circumstances, I am indwelt by the spirit of God and he is causing me to want to glorify God. That's what it looks like. So we pray, spirit, lead us in our worship. Lead my worship. Turn the GPS on. And when you come into this place or whenever you do something you want to call worship, how about stepping into that and let us say, Spirit, I want to be guided by your presence. I want, you, this is about you. I am centering my worship upon you. So guide me. Guide me. Now, worship looks a lot more than just what we do on a Sunday morning, although we call this a worship service. Worship includes, yes, so it includes glorifying God by preaching of His word, glorifying God in music as we sing praises to Him in prayers and all of that. But it's an act that also requires our whole being, our whole life. Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul says, I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual act of worship. We present our whole selves. God is worth is worthy of all things. And so our life is to be worshiped, is, is to be worshiped to God. But notice that if we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and First Corinthians 3:16 tells us that, that we're temples of the Holy Spirit, right? that because we're indwelt by God's presence through Jesus' work on the cross, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Together, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so what is the purpose of a temple? It's to worship. It is the place of worship. So our whole lives, if we are temples of the Holy Spirit, everywhere we go, we are to worship God. God is, is, is indwelling in us. Craig Keener says this. He says, Heaven... Or no. Um, Once the Spirit has made us God's temple, the Spirit equips us for worship. Doesn't that make sense? That if if we're indwelt by the Spirit, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, and now where does the Spirit guide us? What is the purpose of a temple? It is worship. So our first application here for, for worshiping in the Spirit is that let us practice our worship in a, self, in a spirit-centered way. So whatever, whenever we say, I'm going to worship God, we don't first think, all right, so what am I going to do? So maybe even as you were coming to this worship service, you were thinking about, well, what am I going to do? What are those things that I'm going to do? Instead, let us approach it and say, all right, what is the Spirit doing? Because I want to do what the Spirit is doing. I want to be guided by the presence of the Spirit. So even if that means you're going to do something you don't normally do, you're guided by the presence of the Spirit. So you go up to someone and you just start giving them encouragement because you feel that, you know what, I feel like the Spirit's leading me to to encourage you, to tell you that, uh, you know, I see how faithful you are or or, a volunteer, whatever. Instead of this, all right, what am I going to do? No, Spirit, what are you going to guide me to do? It sounds like a little thing. Spirit-centered worship instead of being self-centered, but it makes a huge difference in how we look at what we're doing now, how we look at life, what it means to worship in the Spirit. So let's shift our mind and say we practice our worship in a Spirit-centered way. But let's also pray in the Spirit. Spirit Spirit-led prayer is very closely connected to Spirit-led worship. And what is prayer? Well, prayer is very simply talking to God. Right? It's communing with God, connecting and, and talking with Him. Now, I think the Spirit of God knows how to talk to God. <laughs> I, I think that when it comes to the eternal community of oneness between Father, Son, and Spirit, I think that if the Spirit is leading us in that, we're going we're to pray in a way beyond ourselves. We're going to pray in a way that is in line with God's will and has a power and a purpose and his presence beyond ourselves. Spirit-centered prayer is being guided by the presence of the Spirit. So the Son gives us access to God, and through the Spirit who's in union with God, our prayers can then align with the will of the Father and resonate with the eternal, resonate with the supernatural. Romans 8, 26 and 27 say this. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit knows how to fellowship with God. The Spirit knows how to talk to God and pray according to God's will. So let the Spirit guide your prayers, even take over your prayers. And so pray. Let's, let's start praying Spirit. Lead my prayers. Take them over. Even if it goes beyond words. Even if it means I'm praying with, as it says here, groanings too deep for words. What does that look like? Now, does, does praying in the spirit, does it mean praying in tongues? I'll give you my answer for that. It, it can, but it doesn't have to. I mean, the key is, Is the Spirit directing your prayers? Is the Spirit taking over your prayers? Is your GPS on? Are you being guided by the presence of the Spirit so now you are praying as the Spirit leads you, wherever He leads you? And a lot of times, we need to disengage and stop thinking so much and really saying, uh, instead of uh, analyzing, start surrendering to what the Spirit is doing. Now, praying in the Spirit. There's many people in our church who speak in tongues, and if you want to talk to them about it, I encourage you, ask, ask them about their experiences. Um, what does that mean? I'm going to go on a little side little side journey here. Um, now, for most, and, and I don't speak in tongues yet. Sometimes, I've asked many times, but I don't. Um, and so I want you to hear me when, where I'm coming at I, I, this, is that Most people who speak in tongues say they speak in a heavenly language. Now, this understanding is supported by 1 Corinthians 14. And 1 Corinthians 14 really lays out um, the appropriate use, appropriate speaking of tongues in public worship. It's your homework. I assign that to you now, 1 Corinthians 14. uh, Homework from Dr. J to you. But look at verses 2 and 14. It says, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. Okay, so that's one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up, right? Utters mysteries in the spirit. Also, verse 14, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So here it's talking about this, uh, again, uttering, being led by the Spirit and speaking into some sort of language that no one understands, maybe a heavenly language. And so this gift of tongues is different than what happened at Pentecost. Because at Pentecost, they spoke in other human languages so that people could understand. But here, these folks who are speaking so people don't understand. So without going on too much of a tangent, whatever... Whatever the correct understanding of tongues is, genuine tongues in the Bible is Spirit-directed prayer or Spirit-directed speech. Those who practice it feel closer to God because they're not engaging God with their mind, but on a more emotional, spiritual kind of level. They're feeling led by the Spirit. They don't have the words anymore, and so they're uttering with, with words deep, too deep to utter. The example, I think, I've shared this example before, but I think what really stirred in my heart um, this, this idea, because I was brought up, in, not brought up, but when I first became a Christian, I was in more of a cessationist church and all of this stuff and didn't know what to think about all this, um, is when I was teaching in Tyndale uh, in Amsterdam, we had students from all over, all over the world, and um, so I was staying in the dorms there, And as I was staying in the dorms, um, I had some students from Ghana uh, next to me. And uh, not next to me, but in the next room. And as I was going to sleep, I I heard them praying. And I was like, oh, man, I probably should be praying too. Because although I want to go to sleep, I mean, shouldn't I be praying? I'm in a seminary. I probably should be. And they were praying and praying in their native language until, like, all hours of the night. And then it switched. And then they were were praying in in some other type of language. So the next day when I talked to uh, these students, I said, yeah, I mean, I I just want to encourage you. I think it's great that you are up all hours of the night praying. You know, it really stirred my heart, such and such. I said, so, but you were speaking in your own language at first, but then you kind of changed. What was that? And uh, the girl said, well, we were were praying in tongues. I said, okay, well, why why were you doing that? She said, well, after I no longer had the words to say, the words from my mind to say, I still wanted to commune with God. I still wanted to talk to God. And so I let the Spirit take over. And so she went on hours and hours praying in tongues. Now, if praying in tongues causes someone to be connected to God, to be led by the Spirit, to be connected and talking to God for hours and hours, then I want some of that. I want some of that. Because when the Spirit truly takes over, where will he guide us? He'll guide us to glorify God. He will guide us into closer communion with God. Now, of course, the difficulty is usually when, is how do we do, you know, praying in tongues in public, right? In public worship. And 1 Corinthians 14 gives instructions for that. And basically it says, all right, if you're going to speak in tongues, you need an interpreter. And the reason for that is that what are the gifts for? for building up the body. So 1 Corinthians 14 says every single gift, and we'll talk about uh, the other gifts in future, um, future Sundays, that every single gift that is given by the Spirit is a manifestation of the Spirit's presence is to glorify God, and I've already talked about that, but also to build up the body. So if your gift isn't building people up, then just keep it to yourself. And that's, where the, 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 that's why an interpreter is needed, because people don't understand what you're doing. They don't understand what you're saying, so they can't be built up. It's good for you, but it's not building people up. And Because when the Spirit truly takes over, where is He going to guide you? He's going to guide you to glorify God and to build up Christ's body. That's why in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12, He says, so with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Verse 26, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So the Spirit-led prayer, Spirit-led speech, all the gifts in the Spirit are meant to, again, glorify God and build up the body. So the Spirit, when he manifests himself, he manifests himself to guide us into closer communion to God, but also closer communion with one another. So when we're functioning in the Spirit, not only will he lead us to glorify God, he's going to lead us to function in the body of believers. So one of the things I talked about i tie this together about, you know, folks who's, who, uh, who pray in tongues and say, all right, well, it's, it helps to sort of disengage my mind and pray, you know, um, um, sort of not thinking about it, sort of letting, letting the Spirit take over. So it's not just me and my intellect praying, it's the Spirit praying. Well, so too, often we need to get over ourselves. We need to get past ourselves. See, lots of times and again this has to do with spirit-centered worship with god-centered worship. We come here, maybe you even came here and you were centered you're centered on all right, what am I going to get out of this? What am I going to do? And it really needs to be I need to let go of some of the control that I'm clinging to so that the spirit can take over. That's why listen, I'm, I'm a linguist. I've studied like a dozen languages, and I know several. And so I would love to be able to detach my mind and pray in tongues because I'm always analyzing languages. Even when I hear people speak in tongues, like, wait, okay, what's what's going on that? I would love to do that. That's what I'm praying for. But the point is that sometimes we need to let go of self, whether that's praying in tongues or it is just saying, I am gathering together with other believers, as an act of faith that it's not about me, as an act of faith that, you know, when, when Judy or, or Chrissy, when, he, she's here, when she's playing music and she wants us to, to lead us into worship and focus on God, what do I need to do? I need to, I need to allow myself to be led, Right? That's why there's a close connection between gathering together and being filled or, being, or, or doing things in the spirit. Because when we're together, we have to give up a little bit of control, don't we? And in fact, right now, like, you've given up some of your control to me, right? Because I'm, I'm speaking, and maybe you want me to, to be done, but I'm going to finish when I'm going to finish. But... <laughs> But but the point is, is okay, if I am if I am speaking from the word, if I am preaching in the spirit, if someone is praying in the spirit, if someone is leading us in music in the spirit, then we've got to give a little bit of our control up. That's why this, when, when, then yes, we're each one of us, we're temples of the Holy Spirit, but together, wait, when we're together, something else is going on, there's something bigger, and that's because usually we're more open to the Spirit because we've opened ourselves, we, we're relinquishing control. Right? We're relinquishing some of our control. And when we do that, that's when we can uh, pray in the Spirit. That's when we can preach in the Spirit. That's when we can do things in the Spirit. Because so many times when we enter these doors, we're, we're looking for control. We're looking to hold on a, a, a ourselves and keep ourselves at the center. When the Spirit is saying, no, no, I want to bring you up into the, into the Trinity, the love of the triune God. And we resist. That's why last week we looked at Ephesians 5, 18 and 21. The command to be filled with the Spirit. It says, do not get drunk with wine, that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's a command. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks to the Lord for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We talked about how, wait a minute, he talks about being filled with the Spirit. So if you're filled with the Spirit, you're in the Spirit. And he talks about it in the context of worship, of music, of, 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 of singing, of making melody in our hearts. Why? Well, because of this. This this thing of no, I'm I'm giving up a little bit of control. I'm I'm letting loose a little bit because I want the spirit to take over. And oftentimes in music, we do that. And and trust me, I'm an analytic kind of guy. I love to think. I, I just analyze so much stuff. But one of the one of the times that I can truly just worship with my emotions and, and stop thinking is in music. It allows me to sort of disengage the mind and just open myself up. Maybe you experience that too. And that's what it's talking about here. We can let go of self. And so the Spirit can lead us. That's why in First Chronicles 25, you're like you're gonna bust out First Chronicles? Yes, I'm gonna bust out First Chronicles 25. <laughs> like we never go in First Chronicles. No, we're going there. The um David King David, he's setting up temple worship, right? And get this. This is David and the chiefs of the temple service also set apart for the service. He's going to set apart people for work, to, to lead worship, the sons of Asaph and of Haman. It's not He-Man, okay? This isn't masters of the universe. Um, uh, and, and of Jeduthun who prophesied with lyres, with harps, and with cymbals. Do you catch that? The temple musicians are prophesying with these musical instruments. What is prophecy? Prophecy is God-directed speech. So when they're prophesying with these musical instruments, David, he's acknowledging that when uh, these musicians get together, they are going to be playing in the Spirit, and they are going to be facilitating that, that, that sharing of God's message. In song, though, it's going to be in song. I mean, think about how would that change how we think about the music part of our worship? If we're like, wait a minute, they're, proph- they're prophesying, they're, they're sharing words of God. And that's why it's so important that songs are biblical and that they seek to glorify God because that's where the Spirit leads. Again, think about the difference it would make if we entered into our worship time with that, oh, you know, uh, Judy or whoever is, is going to be, um, you know, prophesying with a piano. GPS. GPS. Guidance by the presence of the Spirit. I, listen, I know what I'm saying. A, a lot of you are like, woo, I don't know. That sounds really like out of my comfort zone. Yes. Whenever we relinquish control... We can get uncomfortable, but if we are relinquishing control so that the Spirit is taking us into the heart of God, there's no safer place to be. There's more, no more joyful place to be. But again, each one of us are temples of the Holy Spirit, and so it's not about, hey, you need to do this, or you need to look like this when you worship. No, that's, that's making it too small. That's putting God in this small worship box is really about just saying, nope, I'm centering my worship on the Spirit so that I want to be guided by the presence of the Spirit. When I come into this place and when we worship, when I go out and I'm talking to my neighbors, when I go home and I'm praying to God, I want to pray in the Spirit. I want my prayers to be guided by the Spirit so that they're in line with God's will, so that when I don't even know how to pray. And I know there's a lot of you who are going through situations in your life right now where it just seems so awful that you don't know what to pray. And you've prayed about this time and time again, maybe year after year. Well, that's when you say, Spirit, pray for me. Guide my prayers. I don't even know how to pray anymore. Guide me. That is the gift of the Spirit indwelling us, being temples of the Holy Spirit. So let us worship in Spirit. Let us pray in the Spirit. Let us live in the Spirit. Let us speak to one another in the Spirit. That's the gift God has given us. And so let's step in that. Let's make sure that we turn our GPS on so that we're guided by the presence of the Spirit in everything we do. Let's pray. Dear God, dear God, Uh, We come before you and we confess that we do. We cling. We cling to so many things. We're guided by our ideas, our upbringing, our culture. We're guided by so many things. But, Lord, we confess now we want to be guided by your presence. Guide us, Lord, now. Guide us, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, guide us And Lord, bring us into the Trinity. Bring us into the love that you and the glory that you've given one another since time eternal. Lord, give us just a taste of what it means to be in your spirit. Just a taste to be in that love and that glory of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We cry, Holy Lord, you are so holy And yet, you invite us into your threefold holiness, Lord. We thank you. We pray we would worship in that knowledge. We would center ourselves on you now, starting right now, but leading into all week. Lord, do a mighty work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.